Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. I'm going to wish you good morning, as I usually do when I record this in the morning, even though you may be listening to this at any time of the day. I don't know. Wherever you are in the world. Um, Today's topic, I'm hoping, will be a little bit fun and a little bit useful and give you some knowledge and um, give you some practical things to do as well. But today I'm going to talk about ghosts and hauntings and paranormal activity. Sounds spooky. Um, One of the reasons this topic came up for me is that as I record this, we are going in from summer into fall. In a couple of weeks, we will be into fall season um, where I live in the uh, in the northeast of the United States, it's a pretty like it gets very dark uh, very early, as it does in many northern parts of the world. The leaves change color and event- eventually fall off, and the trees are bare. And of course, we have uh, Halloween, which is a big holiday here for children to collect candy, but amongst other things, um, you know, recognized as Samhain in the Celtic cycle and, um, you know, around the same time as All Souls Day and Day of the Dead. If you, if so, it's, it's a time where in many cultures, the veil between worlds gets thinner And the belief is that uh, spirits of our ancestors uh, can return and have dinner with us and celebrate. And that's super common. Um, You know, uh, in Celtic times, they would set out a feast for ancestors. Um, You know, Day of the Dead in Mexico, they have the offerendas where they offer up food and... um, you know, candles and flowers and things. And uh, so it's a time that, you know, we associate here with spooky things and scary things and, um, you know, jack-o'-lanterns, which were lit originally to scare off the quote-unquote evil spirits while welcoming the lovely spirits in. Um because not all ghosts were scary to to ancient peoples, um, but we've you know we've made a whole industry around <laughs> horror movies and ghost stories and that sort of thing. And um, you know, depending upon where you are in the world, there are different traditions around this and uh, around that sort of thing. But but where I live, um, Halloween is. Celebrated people love to get scared around Halloween. They love to um, watch horror movies. They dress up in scary ways. They have parties. Um, if you're not familiar with the tradition of trick-or-treating, uh, which not not everywhere in the world celebrates, um, children dress up in costumes and go from home to home, and people generally give them uh, candy and things like that. And... Um, you know, my kids are, are now getting a little, you know, getting too old to trick or treat. But um, I think last year might have been their their final year doing that. But we'll see. Um, but I used to love taking them out, going door to door, and people loved seeing the kids and um, handing them candy. So anyway, we're it, it's that it's that time of year where I'm going to talk about. Uh, ghosts and paranormal activity. Um, it may it may pick up. Uh, if you are living in a culture that believes that uh, you know the veil between worlds is thinner, and um, you know at a specific time or day that you know that it uh, allows spirits to come through more easily. Um, the other reason that I'm talking about this is that paranormal stuff has been coming up for me a lot. Um, I you know, and I'll I'll tell some stories today too. 
I have, uh, I, I was a guest on a podcast recently where, you know, I told a story that I'll tell today and the, the, it, this was a paranormal podcast, by the way. And the person said, oh gosh, that's, that's extremely frightening. And, um, I thought, well, is it, I mean, is it really frightening? I, you know, I didn't find it frightening that there are spirits around, um, and doing stuff and, you know, witnessed by, you know, 20 plus people. But, uh, you know, some people still have this uh, fear of spirit because it's it's the unknown. It's things we, you know, the invisible, things we can't see. Um, from a shamanic perspective, because I, I practice shamanism, we are constantly surrounded by spirits. You just don't, you know, we don't see them in normal reality like you know if, if you're sitting in a room somewhere or or out in nature or whatever you're surrounded by spirits all the time so having one act up a little bit is not incredibly scary for me um you know having them having them affect physical reality is still a little bit um can be a little bit surprising shocking sometimes um, but not like it, it doesn't at this point in my life doesn't make me afraid. Um, so there, you know, I will definitely talk about there's some, <laughs> there's some paranormal activity happening around me, um, at this moment. And, uh, you know, um, it's not, it's not frightening me or anything. Um, sometimes it's a little annoying. Sometimes it, you know, wakes me up at night or, you know, wakes up other people or, um, stuff shows up in my house that shouldn't be there or otherwise. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about that. I will also talk about some things you can do if you feel like you have a um, mischievous or bothersome spirit um, around you in your home. Sometimes they gravitate towards homes. Sometimes they gravitate towards people. Um, so moving might not help too much, uh, if, if you have a spirit that is following you around. So, you know, it should be fairly obvious from the way that I talk that I do believe in an afterlife and I do believe in a spirit and soul that is, um, separate, but associated with the body. And, you know, at the time of death, uh, the soul separates from the body completely and we, uh, you know, we pass on because there's nothing, there's nothing animating the body anymore. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's regardless of the way in which a person actually dies. If they're sick or, you know, injured or what have you, um, you know, which it might be the cause of death right? The thing that stops you from breathing and, you know, your uh, soul can no longer hang on to this body because it's not operating anymore. The soul separates from the body and that is spiritual death. What I will say in my experience is that for most people, the spirit will... Um, hang around on this plane, which in shamanism we call um, the middle world, which is the spiritual version or the spiritual overlay of the 3D world that we live in. Um, shamans recognize multiple worlds, really infinite levels, but we, you know, to, to really generalize, we talk about upper world, lower world, and middle world, and this isn't heaven, hell, and earth. Um, you know, the lower world is not hell in, from a shamanic perspective. It's where um, we do a lot of work, healing work, meet power animals, that sort of thing. And it's actually a pretty beautiful place. Um, it's a very natural kind of place. And then there's the upper world, and that's where we meet sort of upper world teachers. And so, uh, you know, I also, I'll talk a little bit about... Um, my experience of where souls go when people die, right? So, you know, a lot of, uh, 
you know, systems, religions, spiritual beliefs center around punishment and reward, heaven and hell, uh, purgatory, you know, all of these things. Um, that's just not reality in my experience. And, uh, I, I won't argue, I won't argue with your beliefs or, or my beliefs, you know, you're welcome. You're welcome to them. Um, but I have done a fair amount of, uh, work with death and dying and, um, you know, what I've experienced is that people kind of go, because spirit is formless, where you go after you die is formless, but consciousness can represent that as a place and you as having, you know, a body, even though you don't have a physical body, um, you know, it really differs depending upon the person and, um, you know, so your expectations when you're living towards the end of your life matter a whole lot to where you wind up, um, you know, and absolutely reincarnation is a thing as well. So some people come back, some people do not come back. Um, all kinds of things happen. There's all kinds of crazy things that happen. If you think crazy things happen when you're alive, you should see what happens when you die. Um, so I have... Uh, I have on occasion, you know, gone to where people go when, when they die in, in journey, in shamanic journey, um, gotten information from, you know, these spirits that I could not have gotten any other way. So to me, it was really confirmation that I was not making this up. So, for example, somebody said, I want you to contact my my aunt and see how she's doing. And... Um, so I journeyed for that person and went to their aunt in the in you know in the afterlife where they were and um you know came back and could describe what the aunt looked like describe that she was a painter I didn't know that before I journeyed um that she was visiting and playing cards with the grandmother so spirits can visit other spirits in the afterlife and have a social life and really have a wonderful life and you know, my take is that the whole heaven and hell and purgatory thing is just a method of control, as a lot of organized religion is. It's a way to control behavior, right? Back before we had police departments and things like that, um, you know, we controlled people's behavior by threatening them with hell and promising them heaven if they behaved according to our rules. That's my take. You might differ with that. Um, and that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, but obviously, you know, I'm going to present my viewpoint. Um, so, you know, I've done a lot of that work and I've done a lot of what we call psychopomp work, which is helping stuck spirits move to where they're supposed to be. Um, psychopomp it comes from the Greek and it basically means guide of souls or, you know, and it's a type of work that um, a lot of shamanic practitioners do all over the world. Um, shamans are, you know, uh, work soon after somebody dies frequently to help them ease the process of crossing over. And, you know, we treat these, we treat these spirits as clients. Um, we give them respect and understand that if they're stuck, they're actually suffering. Um, imagine living in a world where you can't really affect much and all you can do is observe, um, you know, over time that's, you know, that's not fantastic. And so, uh, really, you know, when you cross over, it's a beautiful thing and, you know, you're in, um, it's been, you know, described as a place of just absolute warmth, comfort, love, and welcoming, and, you know, I don't, at this point, I don't have an opinion about where terrible people go when they die, if they experience a hellish world or who makes that decision or, you know, what have you. Um, you know, I don't know what happened to Hitler, for example, in the afterlife, and I don't have much interest in visiting him. So I'm probably not going to do that journey um, anytime soon out of intellectual curiosity kind of thing. Um, but what happens for most people when they, when they cross over is, um, 
you know, a lot of stuff gets stripped away that's closely associated with a body. For example, trauma gets stripped away and um, wounding gets stripped away. And, um, you know, so people do change when they cross over. They become more, quote unquote, angelic and, um, you know, beneficent. So some people, when I teach shamanism, uh, we get upper world helping spirits, which sometimes are humans that have crossed over um, that come, you know, that want to continue to work with us. Sometimes those are people's ancestors, like a father or a grandfather or grandmother who have passed away. And sometimes those people weren't very nice people in their lifetime in, in 3D reality while they were still alive. And that can be a hard, um, hard truth to accept for some people. Um, and the, you know, what I tell people when that happens is that this is sort of a purified version of that person, right? This is the person like who all of the cruelty, meanness, narcissism, ego, all of that stuff was stripped away. Some people call that going to spirit school. Um, uh, and so they're coming back as a beneficent being who only has good intentions and is not cruel or harmful or, or anything like that anymore. So um, that's what happens when we cross over. Now, if you haven't crossed over, if you're stuck here, if you're stuck in the middle world, um, you know, things are a little bit different because you haven't gone through that process yet. And that's what we call ghosts. Ghosts are, are generally speaking, stuck spirits. Um, there, you know, that being said, there are a lot more spiritual beings in the middle world than just ghosts. In fact, most spirits in the middle world are not, in fact, discarnate human beings. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we experience, if you experience paranormal activity, might be nature spirits or sp what I call spirits of place. Spirits get, uh, a lot of spirits get very strongly associated with a place, and that includes buildings like homes, especially if your home's been there for a while. You could have house spirits. Um, these were called house daemons. In Greek times, they had helping spirits that, watched over the home and protected the inhabitants and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, so all, you know, but a lot of sort of bothersome paranormal activity can be stuck spirits because they're trying to like reach through, communicate their suffering, um, you know, sort of desperate for attention. Imagine if you were ignored by the entire planet for, you know, years, decades, and couldn't really, you know, had a really hard time affecting physical reality. If you could all of a sudden get the power to get some attention affect physical reality, you might. You might act up a little bit, like a child who acts up in a negative way to get attention. Spirits can kind of do the same thing. Um, and sometimes it's a cry for help. And... Um, I believe that one of the reasons I experience a significant amount of paranormal activity in my life is that um, spirits can sense when people have uh, when people can help them. And given that I have training, a lot of training in um, sort of psychopomp work, and have a lot of experience doing that kind of work, um, I think spirits kind of come knocking on my door when they encounter me. I also think that certain types of activities um, make people kind of light up on the, you know, what you might call the astral plane or the etheric plane or, you know, other planes. And I've done a tremendous amount of spiritual work. Um, besides shamanism, I've done a lot of ritual work that is um, designed to uh, sort of um, affect my aura in sort of protective ways and, you know, to draw luck and to have harmonious relationships and that sort of thing. So, 
um, when you do that, if you do any sort of ritual work, um, whether that is, you know, it doesn't really matter what the tradition is, if it's designed to um, affect, energize, or change your aura in some way, or your etheric body, or what have you, you're on the astral plane, um, you know, that can draw the attention of spirits, and they can kind of um, act up a little bit. So I will give, I'll give a few examples. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why I have theorized that there's paranormal activity around me because of my training and experience is that, um, you know, things really kind of ticked up for me when I was going through certain shamanic training with uh, some different teachers that I trained with. Um, You know, I was trained in deep possession work, which is, you know, you might think of the word exorcism. Um, We don't use that word uh, because it's much less violent and um, we don't treat, treat spirits as enemies. Um, We treat them as clients. And so I was training in depossession or training in psychopomp and death and dying work and had a bunch of really weird paranormal activity, which brings me to my story. So, um, you know, this was a number of years ago when I was going through um, an apprenticeship in shamanism and then followed it up with some advanced training in psychopomp work and curse unraveling and all kinds of stuff. So, um, there was a significant amount of activity around me, and I'll describe some of that activity. And some of it is a little bit hard to believe, and I understand that. Um, but, you know, I had some typical stuff going on. Like, I, my office used to be in the basement of the house that I lived in, and I would uh, be the only person in the house. My kids would be at school. My wife at the time would be traveling, you know, away on business. And I would hear heavy, heavy footprints above me um, on, you know, on the first floor of the building. And I thought somebody had broken into the house. Um, I, you know, ran upstairs. I think I grabbed a stick or something in case there was a burglar in my home. And nothing, nobody, nothing. Um, and that started happening almost every day. And I would, I would come back from a training and, um, you know, the woman I was married to at the time would wake up in the middle of the night and see somebody standing at the foot of my, our bed, um, looking down at us, freak out, wake me up. Um, there's nobody there. Um, you know, and some of the stuff, some things, a few things you could sort of say, well, you know, maybe they were, uh, maybe they were asleep. And, and I, didn't believe any of this stuff was really happening at first, I should say. I was not um, a strong believer in ghostly activity or paranormal activity when I started out, even though I was training in in spirituality. At the time, I thought most of it was rubbish and people were not making things up, but experiencing other things that they just hadn't looked into enough to explain. So, you know, the the footsteps, the... uh, you know, my wife and my kids seeing people, both um, seeing strange, you know, shadow people in the house and that sort of thing, and me catching things out of the corner of my eye and um, doors opening up on their own and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then it started to really intensify. And it intensified in a really strange way. Um, Things, rather large things in my house would disappear so they would be gone and they would show up in really weird ways and it wasn't just at my house so um the first thing was i went to a uh i went to a training a shamanism training with my teacher and i have a little um bear totem that i bring with me that i place on the altar when i do training or when i'm teaching and i've had it for a long time um, you know, it's carved, uh, you know, it's carved in, actually carved into a fossil, um, you know, and it's a, it's a precious spiritual item to me. And, you know, um, when I got home, uh, that was missing. And I 
remembered packing it into my bag, so I thought, well, you know, I probably dropped that. So I emailed everybody in the class and said, did you know, did anybody happen to see or pick up um, my bear totem? And it looks like this, and I described it. And nobody had seen it, and somebody even volunteered who lived close to go back to the place where the class was. It was about, you know, a little over an hour from where I lived, go back and look for it, and she did and didn't find it. And I even drove back, um, you know, with my kids and uh, with a flashlight searched the driveway area of the building we were we were training in, not to be found. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I dropped it somewhere weird and maybe it'll show up and maybe it won't. Maybe it's just lost at this point. So about a week later, and and at this time I was driving, um, you know, I was driving a certain car. Um, You know, we had two cars at the time. I was driving a certain car, and I hadn't driven the other car at all. Um, And about a week later, I went to get into the other car, and there was something sitting in the driver's side seat floor wrapped up in some papers. And I unwrapped it, and sure enough, it was my bear. And it was wrapped in papers that had printing on them. And I have never seen that in my life. And nobody had been in that car since I had been at training. It had been locked in my driveway. Um, So how did it get there? Unknown. Unknown, right. Um, So my laptop disappeared from my desk. I went downstairs to work on my laptop and... It was missing, and it went missing for a couple of days, and I was really frustrated, and I was going through, um, I think I was going through depossession training at the time, and this wasn't the only thing. Lots and lots of things would disappear in my house and then show up again in weird ways. And um, so I, uh, you know, I went upstairs to take a shower one day, and um, there was a you know bookshelf next to the bathroom, master bathroom, and I had I remember placing my hand on top of the bookshelf and um, looking at it, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I went in, I took a shower, and I came out, and my laptop was sitting right where I had placed my hand, and there was nobody else in the house. Um, so how did how did this happen? Um, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's, you know, there's more to the story. So I was, you know, taking my daughters to out to dinner to go um, get some pizza at a pizza place. And it was summertime and my daughter was wearing um, sandals and she kicked them off in the back of the car. And then when we got to the restaurant, I said, okay, you know, um, you know, parked in the parking lot. Nobody got out of the car. The windows weren't open. We had the air conditioner running. And my daughter looks down and says, I can't find my sandals. And I was like, well, they must have uh, they must have gotten under the seat or something. We tore that car apart and never found those sandals. They absolutely disappeared into thin air. There was nowhere they could have gone. We looked under every seat. We pulled up the rugs. Um, the window had not been open. The doors had not been open. Um, nothing. They were just gone. Just gone, never returned. Um, so, uh, you know, so we had to actually drive because, uh, at least in the United States, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but you can't, uh, and you can't go into restaurants without shoes on. Um, so we had to go, uh, had to run to a store and buy her some sandals so we could go out to eat. Um, so, that happened, you know, these are just a few examples. So a lot of this stuff happened. So I went to this uh, training. I was training with this teacher from the West Coast. And, you know, um, I was talking to her before the class. I'm like, you know, all this stuff is disappearing. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's, I, I don't know what's happening. I, you know, I, I don't get it. Um, but, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, it's become kind of an annoyance. You know, I can't have my laptop go missing for three days or, you know, precious um, spiritual items or my daughter's shoes while we're on our way somewhere. So, um, and this teacher's like, well, you know, it's really hard for spirits to do that sort of thing. So I think something else is going on. Like somebody in your house is moving your stuff or, 
and you just haven't noticed or whatever. And I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, that might explain some of it. I don't know. I don't know. But it was, you know, things like the examples I've presented over and over and over and over again. Um, so then, you know, we're the, you know, the class starts and we're in the, in the training and, um, the, the teacher is going to demonstrate something to us. So we're, we're all sitting on the floor in this very, um, tight circle, almost shoulder to shoulder. And, um, all of our things that we bring, and if you ever do training in shamanism, there's a lot of stuff, you know, you have drums and rattles and stuff like that. All of my stuff is behind me about 10 feet behind me and including my rattle, which is sitting on a cushion. And, um, you know, the teacher's teaching and all of a sudden the rattle starts to shake itself and, you know, audibly and visibly shake so you can hear it and see it. And there's nothing else. There's no tremor in the room. Nobody else's rattle is moving. Um, Nothing else in the room is moving. There's not an earthquake. There's no wind blowing through the room. There was nothing physically touching the rattle that could have been moving it or no physical phenomena that could have been causing that to happen that anybody could observe. The person sitting next to me turned around and saw it and then looked at me with the widest eyes and said, and I will paraphrase a little bit here because of the expletive, what the F is that? And I just looked at her, I'm like, eh, it's my rattle shaking itself. Don't worry about it. And I think that's funny, right? <laughs> like, I actually think some people are frightened by this story. This is a story I told on a, another podcast, and um, some people are really frightened by that. I wasn't particularly frightened frightened by it. Annoyed by some of the things that were happening. So finally, this teacher who witnessed the rattle shaking on its own, as did, you know, 20 other people in the room, um looked at me and said, okay, I believe that what, you know, I believe what's going on is happening. And so we did a little work in the class and we did, you know, I did some work on the side to sort of make some peace with, um, make some peace with the spirit that was, that was uh, taking and moving my stuff and, you know, sort of found out who, who it was and what was going on. Um, I won't, you know, I won't, uh, I'm not going to talk about who it was or what was going on. Not that it wasn't anybody famous or anything like that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm respecting my spiritual client's privacy at this point. Um, but you know, it, there was spiritual activity and it did calm down for a while. Um, you know, and a lot, you know, other things happen that, you know, certain things will happen around me, like electronic devices will start to fail, um, around me in weird ways, like, you know, my phone will die all of a sudden, or, um, you know, one of the things that happened during this time was the radio in my car started tuning itself to different stations. Um, and it was, it had, this was an older car and it had a manual dial and that was actually turning itself to tune to different channels. Um, so there were, you know, physical phenomena, electrical phenomena, um, you know the the sounds of the heavy footprints above footsteps above me, all of that stuff is going on. Um, you know, and so that's one thing. That's one thing that happened. And and you know, I might attribute some of that to my imagination if it hadn't been witnessed by other people, a lot of other people. And you know, if it were a couple of incidents, I might say, okay, well, you know, I don't really know if something's going on, but. This was a lot of incidents, a lot, a lot, a lot of incidents, um, all in a really short period of time, all very similar, um, you know, and in, in journey, uh, you know, turned out to be a particular spirit who had some power because to make something disappear and show up somewhere else, um, that's not an everyday activity. I can't do that. Um, unless I, you know, physically pick it up and carry it somewhere. Um, you know, that is a, uh, you know, it was a spirit who had some skill during his lifetime in spiritual stuff and could affect, uh, figured out how to affect um, material objects on the physical plane. So 
anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I, I tell this story to some people and they're like, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's really freaky. Well, you know, that happens to me enough now that that story doesn't really freak me out. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, another thing that's happened happened really weird is I've found things in my house that don't belong to anybody and didn't have a way of getting into my house. Um, a weird Japanese keychain was on my living room floor the other day. I found a padlock under my bed that didn't belong to anybody. And I don't keep anything under my bed. And I don't have, you know, it, any reason to have a padlock there. And I showed it to everybody who had been in the house and nobody recognized it. So um, stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you can do if you have uh, troublesome spirits in your environment. Because I want this to be sort of useful. Um and this, you know, particularly this will work in, you know, home or an office or, or what have you. So, you know, one of the first things I might do um, is to try to make peace with the spirits that are there. And the reason is that it might not be a stuck spirit. It might be a nature spirit or what have you or an ancestral spirit coming back coming back from across the way. Um. The way to tell if it is a stuck spirit, really, is you've got to seek the help of a practitioner who has skill in this area. So you could seek out a shaman. You could seek out a medium. Um, you know, certain people have uh, clairvoyant abilities. They can see see or hear or talk to spirits. Um, you know, so... You know, you've got to seek out some somebody who has some skill in that area. It's a little bit hard to differentiate yourself. But the first thing you can do is you can um, try to make peace. And if you think about it like any kind of relationship, um, you know, it's a healthy thing to do in relationships to set boundaries, right? So if I have a... Uh, a relationship, uh, like a romantic relationship with somebody and um, something, you know, they, they're they they're doing something that is hurtful to me, uh, you know, I have a right to say that's hurtful to me and um, that's not okay. In an assertive but loving way. So the same thing is true um, for spirits, whether they're in your home or your business or they're following you around as a person. Um, you know, in my case, because the spirit was active everywhere I went, it was following uh, myself and another family member around. Um, so, and and actually, you know, sort of feeding off our energy as well and, and uh, using that energy to af- affect the physical matter. Um, I won't get into the whole spiritual physics of it, but, um, you know, anything that does anything is energy, right? The ability to do anything is, uh, require, you know, requires energy. Um, energy is the capacity to do work. That's the, the physics of it. Um, so, uh, you know, one way you can make peace with spirits in your home or business or whatever, is you can talk to them. Most spirits cannot read your mind. Um, you know, there certainly are spirits that can you might be able to communicate with telepathically, but if it is a you know a ghost or stuck spirit or um, you know certain nature spirits or whatever, um, they don't generally read minds, and so you have to actually talk out loud. And that might feel a little bit weird unless you're a person who normally talks to spirits or talks to themselves or what have you. And people might look at you a little weird, so you this might be something you want to do on your own when you're alone. Um, but uh, one way, and this was taught to me by somebody who practices the art of uh, conjure, which is, um, you know comes from African-American um, folk magic, uh, is to, you know, you, you sit at a table 
and you uh, light a candle and you have a glass of water next to it. And the glass of water is is a form of offering. It's a form of nourishment. So you're not going to drink the water afterwards. Um, generally, it's a good idea to dispose of it outside after afterwards and, you know, like water a plant with it or something like that. So you light a candle and set a glass of water next to it and you sit and you just speak to the spirit and, you know, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm John. I noticed you're in the house. I noticed you're doing this and that. And, you know, set some boundaries. You know, you're scaring my family and that's not okay. So, you know, I need you to stop that. Um, you know, and sometimes they will hear you and understand. And that's a good um, that's a good start, right? And if things don't calm down or if they intensify after that, um, really good idea to seek the help of a practitioner who's um, good at clearing space or uh, working with nature spirits or, you know, doing psychopomp work. Um, anybody who's a shamanic practitioner of any kind should be uh, really good at this um, type of work. Um, so uh, another, you know, and another way to sort of make and keep peace with spirits in the home is to um, is to make offerings. And uh, I did a, a whole podcast on offerings before. One of the best use of use of offerings is to, um, you know, to pacify, mollify spirits. Um, you know, there's some complexity to that, so I would check out like if you're, you know, if it's, you know, check out my podcast on offerings or read something about how to how to give offerings. Um, but basically, if you come from a culture that makes offerings to the dead, do that in the culturally appropriate way that you would do that. You know, so if you're, um, you know, if you come from a culture that has an offeranda, use that. If you're um, from another kind of culture and you do offerings a different way, do that. Because chances are that spirit probably associates with the culture that you associate with. Um, exception might be if you're living somewhere that's not native to you. Um, or, you know, you're living on land where there are not, um, you know, your people didn't occupy beforehand. So, for example, I live on land that was previously occupied or close to land that was previously occupied by um, Native American tribe. And so um, some common offerings might be cornmeal, for example, um, something that they understand from their lifetime, understand and respect. Um, so I might make a, an offering of cornmeal out on, I have an outdoor altar on the spirits of the land, for the spirits of the land here, which includes, you know, potentially Native American spirits of, you know, a tribe that lived here before my ancestors settled in the area. Um, so, you know, honor, respect, relationship. So shamanism, which is my path, is all about being in relationship to spirits. And, um, you know, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, so when people, um, sometimes they'll have, uh, they'll meet a power animal. Um, some people might kind of think of that as a spirit animal or a totem animal, they're, they're different things. So power animal is a particular animal spirit that works with an individual, where a spirit animal is more like, uh, this is an animal I identify with, um, you know, a breed of animal or a type of animal or species of animal that I identify with very strongly, identify with the qualities. And a totem animal is usually an animal that's associated with a clan or a tribe you know, that sort of thing. I might belong to the bear clan. And so the totem for my clan is is bear. Um, but if I have a bear power animal, that is a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the spirit of a bear. So some people get their power animal. You know, we do something called power animal retrieval to uh, 
uh, reintroduce somebody's power animal to them. And, you know, the, the, you know, sort of the beginning of a relationship. And some people get an animal that they have a fear of, you know, a spider or a snake or bat or, you know, sometimes crow. I love crows, so I don't know why that would be. But I've had people like, oh, crows, yuck. Um, and that's not a good way to begin a relationship. <laughs> um, imagine meeting somebody in a dating situation for the first time and they're like, oh, yuck. I don't like your kind of people. Probably not a good way probably not a healthy way to begin a relationship, a strong relationship with somebody that's not going to do you much good. So um, when you think about it that way, entering into relationship with spirit, and so when we do offerings, when we talk to spirits, that sort of thing, it's important to be respectful. And yes, this is, you know, this is my house, and I can assert, you know, I can assert certain rights to my house, but I understand that I'm not the only resident here. Um, and I can assert boundaries. Certain types of behavior is not acceptable. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. I need my beauty rest. Uh, you know, don't steal my stuff. I'm happy to give you an offering, but, you know, there are certain behaviors that are, that are not going to be okay taking and hiding my things that I need, not okay. Scaring my children, not not really okay either. Um, you know, might be unintentional behavior on their part. Um, so you can certainly set boundaries. Now hauntings, um, you know, hauntings can be in my experience, and I'll talk about sort of why spirits get stuck here in the middle world and not move on. Um, but hauntings can be pretty challenging. So generally speaking, hauntings happen, um, you know, a stuck spirit is a human being that, um, so I'm separating that from activity of other types of spirits, nature spirits, spirits of place, things we might consider gods and goddesses or helping spirits. So we're talking about stuck spirits. Um, and they get stuck for a few different reasons. So these are generally human beings. In my experience, um, animals don't really become stuck spirits. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. So, uh, you know, although people might see ghostly dogs or, you know, that sort of thing. I think they're probably nature spirits at that point. I think they're probably not. They're appearing that way, but um, they're probably not actual dogs that that passed away. Um, they tend not to get, they tend not to get stuck. In my experience, I have not encountered um, ghost animals. People, though, um, so what happens that causes somebody to be stuck? So this is usually a death where the, the death comes as a shock or a surprise, some sort of traumatic death. Not always, but most of the time. So the things we think about are like um, murder and suicide are a good example to that. And I realize that suicide isn't necessarily shocking or surprising, um, but it is such a, it's an act where a person is in such horrible um, pain to end their life at that point that sometimes they get sometimes they get stuck. And there's some other stuff that goes on with suicide, you know, with soul loss when one wishes oneself dead or thinks one's better off dead. Um, the soul kind of separates from the body. Uh, becomes dissociated a little bit, and uh, you know that can cause some pretty severe soul loss. And then, you know, when you know when if somebody you know completes suicide and and unfortunately dies, um, they can wind up being stuck here because there's so much soul loss. Um, it is very sad, and I, and I really you know if you if you in any way ever feel suicidal or like you need help, I hope that you 
reach out for the help that you need. Um, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not a good thing, and it's not necessarily, uh, it's it's not it's not an it's really not an answer to anything. Um, and I and I recognize how much pain people are in when they're when they're going through that, and how clouded our thinking becomes, and the types of thoughts that go through people's heads. I do understand that. So if you're considering, if you ever consider that or you feel that way or you have thoughts that are overwhelming and you can't control them, please, please, please reach out for help in your area. Call emergency services or call a suicide hotline and um, and get the help that you need. So murder and suicide are, are, are ways that spirits get stuck here. Um, you know, Things like accidents and natural disasters, so car crashes, plane crashes, um, tsunamis, um, that sort of thing. Uh, any kind of mass casualty event, you know, could be a fire or, um, you know, anything like that where, you know, the death is either violent or surprising or shocking. Um, human spirits can get stuck. And, you know, I have... I have theories about that. I don't know a hundred percent why that is, uh, but I think it has. I think it has to do with the shock and that the, per, the the soul, the consciousness, is not accepting that it's in fact dead, or there are other reasons why it gets stuck here. Um, and so these, you know, these spirits get stuck. Animals don't. Um, animals don't really have an ego in the same way that people do. I'm not saying that animals are not conscious and they're not, uh, and don't have souls. They are absolutely are conscious and they absolutely have souls. Um, but they don't get stuck here. And I think it has to do with, uh, ego structure. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I don't, you know, I'm theorizing at this point, but in my experience, animals don't become ghosts and don't become stuck spirits. I could absolutely be wrong on this, but um, I've run into a lot of spirits, and um, that hasn't hasn't been an experience of mine. So um, you know, so so these beings can get stuck, and what practitioners who are trained in psychopomp work can do is help them move to where they're supposed to go, and we do that with the help of our helping spirits. And we do that with the full conviction of where they're going next is going to be a wonderful place where they're going to feel at ease and there will be no suffering. And there, you know, um, it's going to be a beautiful welcoming place for them and help them move to that place. It takes a fair amount of training to be able to do that work. I don't recommend that to people who haven't gone through, um, you know, the stages of training that are required to do that sort of work. So, um, so anyway, that's, <laughs> that's psychopomp work. Uh, so, you know, if you have, if you have a condition like that, you can call in somebody who's, helpful at helping souls cross over. And, you know, not just sermonic practitioners can do that, but um, people who are mediums sometimes can can do that. Um, not a huge fan of exorcising spirits. That's sort of a combative way of approaching it. Um, and, you know, again, if it's a suffering spirit, uh, practitioners should treat that as a client the way you would somebody with a body. So from a shamanic perspective, there are lots and lots of spirits in the world. Some of those spirits have physical form. Some of them do not, right? So um, when, when, you, when you die, you're not really attached to your physical form anymore. So your, your spirit is sort of formless, but your consciousness uh, still holds a form for it, right? Your soul body still holds a form, which is why when, you know, if people see spirits or, um, you know, in ordinary reality and they're not in trance, they might see them as just shadowy or translucent or, um, you know, sort of amorphous, um, foggy balls of light, that sort of thing. And that, you know, 
is a little bit of uh, spiritual energy bleeding through into the physical realm. And, you know, most spirits can't can't do that or requires too much energy to do that or they don't know how or or they just don't want to. They just don't have an inclination to um, take on physical form. Physical form's hard, you know? I you know, I've I've got aches and pains. I'm sure you do too. I mean physical body's hard. It is a blessing though. It is a blessing to have a physical body. Um to, to be able to work in this plane, but understanding that there are many, many, many other planes. So it's important to treat your body well. It's important to take care of it and, and that sort of thing. And I realize I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but that's a normal thing for me. So as we come into um, the darker months, at least if you're in the northern hemisphere, you know, something to think about. Um, and I, I did another podcast on um, ancestors, and I did another one on, on setting up altars, you know, and having an ancestor altar is um, another good way to uh, sort of maybe calm the spirits in your home because the ancestors will take care of your home and sort of keep things in order. You know, their, their spirits can can cross over, particularly if they're honored here. So, um, you know, you might, uh, if you, again, if you live in a culture where it's traditional to have an ancestor altar, keep that up. Um, you know, that's a fantastic lineage to have. And if not, you can certainly um, find ways to keep an ancestor altar. Could be, you know, photographs and candles and you make offerings of flowers and that sort of thing. And that can exist in your home without appearing um, too shocking to people who are who might not understand or might be um, opposed to any sort of spiritual work or might think you're worshiping the devil or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, certain people, when they find out what I do, I think, you know, might, might associate what I do with some kind of... Uh, dark magic or some, you know, something evil or something. And quite the opposite is true, <laughs> I assure you. Um, but you can keep an ancestor altar that is fairly low key. And uh, my one recommendation for that, um, if you set up an ancestor altar, is to not keep it in a bedroom where people are sleeping because, you um, it can become quite an active location and can kind of mess up your sleep a little bit. So, um, you know, uh, I keep mine in my dining room where my family eats and where we, you know, use the dining room table to play games and have lots of family activity. And I, I just consider it like, you know, these are, um, you know, these are deceased people, but they're people that are still part of my family, and I'm in- including them in activities um, that my children and I are taking. And hopefully they take some joy from that and will, um, in return, watch out for the, my children and, and watch out for my home and keep us all safe um, and that sort of thing. And also maybe kind of uh, keep the spirits a little bit calm around me, make sure they're not stealing my stuff or, you know, destroying my electronics or, uh, you know, waking me up at night. So with that, I will end this podcast. I hope this has been interesting. I hope I have left you uh, with some useful information. As always, if you have uh, suggestions or things that you're interested in, you can feel free to contact me through my website, which uh, the, the, the URL for is announced at the end of every episode. I hope you'll subscribe um, via wherever you get podcasts and listen to me some more. I love talking to people all over the world. I love and appreciate you. And I hope that you and your loved ones stay healthy and happy and loving.
have been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.